You're listening to Wednesday Wonders on the Mutual Audio Network. Be amazed. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Kylesen Chronicles sorted version of a Christmas carol. Join us as we go to the communications center office. A very Kylesen Chronicles Christmas tale. James Anthony was sitting in the communications center office. John Belson was dead. They were an odd family. Freehold 3 was better off. He was, James knew, one of the two named partners in the only bank in the Freehold. There were credit unions, savings and loans, and investment managers in the freehold. Freeholders kept the concept of money. You'd have thought that it was an archaic practice, but it wasn't. Coin was earned. You paid for food, and for services, and yes, even for funerals. Most of the population of Freehold 3 had come from old North America. They'd brought a concept of money that was based on stored precious metals. John Belson was a hoarder. He collected artifacts from anyone who needed money. He then melted down those artifacts for the metals. The bank, for it had no other name, was what was once known as a loan shark business model. James Anthony was angered by the very process of a man essentially stealing the possessions of his fellow freeholders. Yes, John Belson was dead. His family had signed all the documents and left the body to be recycled. James Anthony had gotten involved because the council required a memorial service. He had the reputation of not turning away anyone, so James was stuck. The other issue was that his many times great-grandfather had started the bank. The other name on the letterhead was his. He had never worked at the bank, as collection center, or even as a loan officer. The Belson family wanted out. They had offered an entire cache of John Belson's coin to him to take their name off of that business. James Anthony was sick to his stomach thinking about the ill-gotten fortune. By right of inheritance, that bank was his. So James had to pay for John Belson's memorial service. Mm-hmm. John Belson had been so tight-fisted with his riches that only the person in the dire circumstances showed up at that bank. He never made a loan he couldn't collect. Ancient artifacts were precious to the Freehold families. He'd take everything as long as it had a gold or silver or nickel or copper or platinum content. Then he'd destroy the artifact for its metal content. That man was positively hated. He had more assets than the arbiters and scribes and they were above it all. They inherited. It was Christmas, excuse me, the winter festival. Political correctness was one of James's downfalls. He didn't have time to run the bank. Yes, the windfall meant that he didn't have to work if he didn't want. Work in the communication center was his dream job. Mr. Anthony could hire clerks, collectors, and loan officers. The problem was he was a control freak. If his name was on the bank, he was going to run it. 
That would be a bad idea. His only child was now assistant communication manager at the Jed Johnson Flats Colony. She, he trusted. She wasn't here. He was stuck. He just had to use any free time managing the bank. He'd hire an assistant to be at the bank during the day. Renee Gretchen's daughter needed a job. She had a few skills. Typing, writing, legal copy, keeping accounting records. Those were the high points. She'd lost her last job when the court credit union had pulled up stakes and moved to Jed Johnson Flats. How could they do that to her? Renee would never leave the freehold for any reason. Safety and security were her first, last, and only goals. That meant the freehold was her home. No ifs, ands, or buts. Let those foolish people abandon their homes and live outside in fear and striving. She'd stay here. James Anthony posted the job on the AI's job board. He hoped somebody would bite. There had to be someone who understood banking and wanted a new or different job. So he closed the bank to all but depositors. He kept the ledgers current, working into the wee small hours every day. He promised that in time, the loan department would again be a valued service of the bank. Renee had known James Anthony her whole life. After all, his weekly talks on the afterlife, faith, and belief gave her hope for an existence without fear. Even if she had to die to achieve that life, it had to be better than never feeling safe. Mr. Anthony would have his assistant. She had asked for a rock-bottom salary. That should get her the job. James read the responses to his AI post the next morning. Renee's offer caught him off guard. Most applicants wanted more coin than James made as the freeholder assistant communications manager. Renee's was different. She wanted a barely living wage. James knew the answer to why she wanted the job. She wanted to stay in the freehold at all costs. He'd take her requested amount as salary and use her shamelessly. Furthermore, he'd imbue her with the title bank manager in training. He didn't want to run the bank anyway. After a time, he'd elevate her to bank manager, even if all she did was keep the books. He'd pay her out of the service fees the bank charge to keep people's coins safe. The bank had more than enough income to do all that right now. So, he sent an AI video message for them to meet at the bank in the morning. Oh, her response was immediate. He had her they'd meet tomorrow. She was there when he arrived. So were about 30 depositors. Well, she'd have to wait until he took their money and assessed the weekly service fee. Renee followed him into the bank and sat where he pointed. 54 minutes later, the clients had left. James motioned her to follow him into the office. She sat in the chair before the big gray steel desk. James sat behind the monster desk. Renee, why do you want this job? asked James. Renee said, he keeps me safe here in the freehold. Why is it safe here in the freehold? queried James. Because it isn't safe out there, stated Renee quietly. James said, the job is yours. They talked a bit more with James, defining what he expected from her. Renee accepted it all so she'd be safe. The hours would be long at ten per day with two days off each week. Even that was accepted. 
Her friends, the few she had, worked six-hour days, four days a week. She didn't care. She might live meagerly, but she'd be safe. Renee worked out well indeed. She was, and had, the bank humming. James spent two hours a day making secured loans. He hired Beasy Boy, Roland Richardson, to do the collections and never asked him questions. James paid them a pittance. Both were deeply afraid of once humans and prejudiced to boot. As long as they did their jobs, he didn't care about their politics. His efforts in delegation had the festival on track as well. It should come off like clockwork. Today was the 23rd of December. He was at peace, but began to hear and dismiss complaints about his bank staff. The figures were right, and he'd increased the value of the bank by 2% in just three weeks. He was a happy man. That's when the floor generally falls out from under you. James slept the sleep of the just that night. At 1400 hours on the 24th of December, the festival kicked off its carnival. He'd even managed to overcome the naysayers and had a religious booth included. The religious made up 35% of the population. It all went well and the elders had congratulated him publicly at the Chinese restaurant's winter party. He felt on top of the world. Tomorrow was soon enough for the cleanup crews to get started. It was time for bed. He came home and went directly to bed, even though his stomach still rolled in nervousness. That's what you do when your main job is freehold assistant, communications manager. There never was a real day off. It felt like he'd just barely fallen asleep when a rock, rock tapping disturbed his slumbers. The noise was still growing. It sounded like he was in an echo chamber. Louder and louder came the tapping and rattling of the chains the maintenance people used for the dumb waiter system. Rattle, tap, rattle, tap. Stomp, stomp, stomp. He heard heavy footsteps. He thought this is nuts, but opened his eyes anyway. There stood a transparent John Belson, dragging chains tethered to his ankles. He didn't seem to have feet. You can't be here. You're dead, shouted James Anthony. John looked on, James with a sad expression. He intoned, I am dead. What you see is the ghost of my past. This is my penance. I must drag the chains of my greed for eternity. James replied, I don't believe in ghosts. I'm dreaming, and you're what remains of that last egg roll I ate at the dinner party. No, James, I'm as real as you, but stuck between the corporeal and afterlives. Take my hand, John demanded. James hid his head under his pillow. He called out, Go away! The ghost let out a scream of unearthly sound. Take my hand, learn, or suffer my fate. You will! Ripping the pillow and covers away from James, he towered massively with wrath over James Anthony's bed. 
Shivering, James reached out his hand to grasp the other's stone-cold fingers. In an instant, they were hovering over a nine-year-old James playing dice outside one of the freehold sanctuary while his father preached. The ghost stated, Always doing what you wanted, playing while serious matters were taught. They floated away like they were smoke. When they rematerialized, James said, I know this place. Brenda was six, and her mother was leaving. Why have you brought me here? Belson's ghost pointed and spoke. Hear her words. Kira, Ellen's daughter, with tears streaming down her face, screamed. And yes, I am going. I know it's early for Brenda. You're driving me away. You don't practice what you preach. You don't even believe half of what you teach. Life isn't all about James Anthony. Then she laughed. James put his hands over his face and wept. So it went. The travelers flowed their way through James Anthony's life. Situation, decision, and episode were pounding on James's overloaded mind. Had he really been that selfish? Then he landed in his bed as if it had never happened. Snug and warm, but awake. James thought, what a nightmare. Then he went back to sleep. Laughter and sounds of children playing disrupted James's sleep. He thought, what now? He opened his eyes to see the ghostly figure of Sarah Lisa daughter, dead now, only six days. James, cooed Sarah, wake up. James asked, are you real, Sarah? Sarah said, yes, I am, James Anthony. You're being given a gift if you're not too dumb to learn. Come fly with me and see today's lesson from the ghost of the present. This time, he didn't resist. He rose and grabbed his robe, slipping it over his chilled frame. She didn't give him a chance to tie it. Grabbing his shoulder, he was yanked into the smoke above his head. James, darling, see what pain you've caused today. James couldn't believe his ears. It was festival day, and he'd done well, or so he thought. The first stop was Renee's hovel. It couldn't even be labeled quarters. The door was a blanket, roughly screwed into the rock. She lay shivering, crying, and alone. See what your choices have done? She isn't safe. Just then, a gang of men and boys came up the tunnel. It was a tunnel, roughly cut, as if by hand, and a bad place to be by oneself. The gang stopped at Renee's hole. They yelled, Not going to the festival? We are. You couldn't even buy bread, could you? Your job isn't paying for you to exist, is it? We could just kill you now and save the freehold from recycling while you rot. The oldest tuft reached for the blanket to rip it away. Stop! A voice screamed from somewhere in the dark. Emerging from the dark with hand lights moved Rachel Robinson, scribe, and Larry Mikeson, arbiter. The gang turned and ran. No one messed with either the scribe or the arbiter here in Freehold 3. Rachel said, James should be ashamed forcing her to live like this. It should be criminal. Larry looked sad and angry all at once. I should be, but it isn't. 
growled the Arbiter. I'd like to strangle him, and she's ill and almost lost to us. We must get her up to the hospital. The ghost soared into the smoke, dragging James with her. Can this be changed? This can't be. That used to be a living wage, and I pay her. When is this? cried James. Sarah didn't smile, but said, It's now, James, within the hour of waking. What will you do? Do you have the guts to face your base and hoard abuse of another human being for coin? She dropped him then, and once again, he was snug in his bed. James didn't hesitate. He didn't stop. And he ran to the hard line, tapping the sequence for Rachel Robeson. When she answered, he almost cried for joy, saying, Tell me you haven't gone to the Richardson slums yet. I need to go, too. I think Renee, Gretchen's daughter, is in trouble. We've got to get there and get to her now, Rachel retorted. It's late, James. I'm for bed. Please, Rachel, I've done her so wrong, I've got to make it right. I don't want her to suffer and maybe even be found dead. Help me. She doesn't deserve to be alone and sick on festival. I've been so greedy and selfish. Call the Arbiter and let's go, please. James could hear the door knocker at Rachel's door echo four ramps reverberating. Rachel laid the hard line receiver down. James could hear her open the door and Larry Mikeson's voice. Larry growled. Now he cares. Yes, he can come, but tell him to meet us at those slums entrance. Rachel picked up the phone. James, she never finished. James said, tell Larry I'll be there. I think I finally understand. Tell him hurry. And so the freehold is safe once more now that James Anthony understood his wrongs to the many people that his actions had touched through the years. Merry Christmas to all from the Kyleson Chronicles. This is Belle Thompson, your narrator, signing out. A Very Kyleson Chronicles Christmas Tale, Chapter 5, Afterward. James Anthony sat beside Renee's hospital bed. The doctors said she'd be all right in a few days. How close he'd come to causing the death of another human being. Every person was unique and precious. Renee's eyes fluttered open for the first time in six days. Water, please water. It wasn't until she drank deeply that she noticed it was James Anthony sitting at her bedside. What are you doing here and where am I? croaked Renee. James replied, I'm here because you needed someone. Don't you have any family left? No, they abandoned me and went to that horrible place outside. Renee almost screamed. Calmly, James said, Rachel Robson and I will be your friend. I'm having your things moved to a real apartment. I'm also increasing your salary. Crying now, Renee asked, why? James Anthony smiled, so you never have to fear again. The cast in this miniature play was me, Charlie Wyrock III, Tomcat, Bella Thompson, J.A. Babion, Lisa Sidibe, James Sidibe, Bruce Jaworski, William Jaworski, Brian Birch, Micaiah Henderson, James Roberson, Alice Randall, Ellie Hirschman, Floyd Jones, Echo Unclesbay, 
Bart Polin, Krista Hoffaker, and Tracy Babion. The bridge between man and machine. What kind of change? One that changes everything. The organic and the digital. His head, it's metal. Your friend Alvin the Chipmunk is a non-stop recording hard drive. The ability to record every human sense. Sight, sound, even thought. Everything anyone could ever see or hear gets recorded. Any human being could be a spy. This chip will allow us to know everything, as will the people we sell it to. They'll see all the data. Don't you get it? There is no one that can stop us. Hey, Rockstar. The Rapscallion Agency, a new audio drama from the creators of the Leviathan Chronicles, follows two of its youngest characters, Lizette and Chloracan, who moved to Paris. So, Clerken is in Paris. Welcome to Paris. And find themselves entangled in a sinister plot to control the world's most sensitive information. I can take them out. I can do with three of them. Now there's two. We've got to get out of here. No one is going anywhere. Leviathan Audio presents The Rapscallion Agency, available November 1st. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.